Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to Cumberland Lodge. It's great to see you uh, here this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Ed Newell, I'm the principal of Cumberland Lodge. Um, this is our 70th anniversary, so the, not the building, but the, the foundation that's, that lives here. And to mark our 70th anniversary, we thought we would talk about what we actually do here on a daily basis, which is conversation. So we're here um, as an organisation that tries to promote constructive conversation on some of the most difficult issues facing society. Um, and so we thought we'd explore this morning the art of good conversation. And I'm absolutely delighted that we have Theodore Zeldin with us um, to do this. Um, as many of you will know, uh, Theodore is a historian, philosopher, uh, based in, in Oxford, and um, one of our great thinkers on broad humanity uh, topics. Um, and you may remember that uh, Theodore had a series on Radio 4, I've forgotten how many years ago now, but it's a number of years ago, on, on conversation. And uh, no doubt we'll pick up on some of the things that Theodore said uh, then and has reflected on subsequently. And then um, in 2001, the Oxford Muse Foundation was established to promote Theodore's ideas, including about conversation. And we will discover a lot about that this morning. Slightly differently, we're going to have quite a short conversation this morning for you to eavesdrop on. Normally, I, we, we go on for about uh, uh, three quarters of an hour or so, but we'll keep this one quite short because Theodore wants to encourage us all to engage in conversation, and we'll explain that uh, a little bit in a moment. But to have our brief conversation, Theodore, okay. why um, is conversation important to you personally? Because I can't think without conversation. Conversation stimulates one to import ideas which one doesn't have. One's mind is full of, it's like an antique shop, and it's full of brick and brack which one has picked up from many places, and it tends to solidify and you stick with your prejudices, you stick with your received ideas. And what you need from other people is to be stimulated and to see how your ideas can combine with ideas from outside to make you find new solutions to your problems and new attitudes to the world and to discover the world. And secondly, I stress the fact that you've got to decide what you're going to do with this life. And you can become rich or you can um, play games and try to be young all the time. And um, you know, there are various alternatives offered or you can have a very large number of children or whatever. Um, but I have myself asked myself this question, what should I be doing with my life? And I feel that many young people don't know, apart from getting a job. Um, and then working in order to do the things they really want to do. And I see that I want to discover what life is, and therefore I want to see it in all its manifestations, and therefore I want to talk to as many people as possible to discover what they see in life, because it's no good my having an idea about what is worth doing if they all disagree with me, or at least I've got to find out how I can benefit from their disagreement and therefore I find disagreement really interesting and stimulating 
and my wife doesn't agree with me about many things, and I find that useful. And <laughs> <laughs> um, provided it's done in, in a thoughtful way. You know, you've got to discuss instead of getting angry. And people do resent. Well, we have in this country now, we have um, a real, really big problem because there is real animosity between the leavers and the, and the remainers. And uh, it's, this is happening in many other countries with extreme parties of people who hate each other. And conversation is the only means by which you discover why people have the opinions they have and what are their frustrations and what are their aspirations. And uh, in this way, it doesn't mean that you're going to like them, but at least you can understand why they are what they are and perhaps offer them opportunities to limit their frustrations. And I think this is really urgent in today. This is it's probably the largest problem in the world where we are um, developing animosities which are going to ruin our liberties also. We're getting scared. And so the idea of just becoming free isn't good enough if you're not freed from fear. And there is fear everywhere. So uh, conversation is, it seems to me, more useful than passing laws to say you've all got to behave yourself. And we will know that people don't behave themselves. And uh, so what else? Tell me. Tell me, what is your alternative to a conversation? <laughs> I, I totally agree with you, uh, otherwise I wouldn't be working here. As many of you will know, um, Cumberland Lodge was founded by a lady called um, Amy Buller. And during the 1930s, Amy Buller went to Germany, um, encouraged <coughs> to do so by William Dunford, who became Archbishop of Canterbury, and also Sandy Lindsay, who at the time was the Vice-Chancellor of Oxford University. And what she was asked to do was to take delegations of British academics over to Germany to meet with very senior Nazis. So people she was dealing with, people like von Ribbentrop and uh, Rosenberg, was one of the sort of the, the brains that were behind National Socialism. And she was encouraged to take them to have conversations, which she did. She sort of, and she, but she drove these these conversations. And obviously that work came to an end with World War II. It also became quite controversial because people thought, here's people, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be talking to them. Like Corbyn is not allowed to talk to the IRA, right? Yeah. So I suppose my question to you is, first of all, I know, Theodore, you've had a chance to, to look at this. What, <coughs> what do you pick out of this in terms of, of the importance of conversation? Uh, and also, was Amy Buller right to be doing what she she did? Um, was she, were her, uh, how would you respond to the critics of, of her at the time? Well, I think what she was doing was very good. She went and talked to all sorts of people, Nazis and anti-Nazis, and she then discovered why so many people were Nazi without being fully Nazi. And uh, they were because they were uh, Hitler got them a job instead of being unemployed. Well, he's not a perfect man, but at least we've got a job. And uh, this is a major problem in the world now, because there are about a billion young people in the world, young people who can't get a job, and also many more who can't get the job that they would like, or have got a lousy job. 
And if we cannot provide people with jobs, they're going to get frustrated. And I've been reading an, another book recently, which came out just a few weeks ago, by a, a woman of Moroccan origin who was born in Germany, who became a journalist for the New York Times and Washington Post. And she was brave enough to go into, um, get into, talk to the ISIS leaders, which is terrifying, because <coughs> they said you're not allowed to bring anything with you, leave your phone behind. Uh, the book is called I was told to come alone. And you just imagine yourself going alone to these people who might chop your head off. Um, but she found that they got PhDs and were intelligent people. And uh, they had been, they felt they had been maltreated, ignored, never spoken to, never invited into the homes of people in the countries in which they lived. And if you don't talk to people, then you become a stranger and you become a dangerous stranger. And they resented it with real passion. And that's why they go off to Syria to fight and die. And that is exactly what we find there. Mm. And we've learned nothing from it. Mm. That is what is awful. And that is why I really believe that history is something which modernity has said is something you must forget. Forget, you know, you've got to be new. Everything's got to be new. Well, I'm all in favor of inventing new gadgets. And I love gadgets. Um, but. Uh, We've got to stop making the same mistakes as we've made in the past. And therefore, the more people read this with intelligence, and uh, fortunately, <coughs> the, the Germans have got over that. But they've got new problems now, and the problems never cease. Mm -hmm. um, so you're right to, to raise this. What is interesting from your point of view also is, at the end of it, he says, okay, there is this unemployment and there's all that stuff, but there's something more. Hitler created a religion and he provided all the answers and he was the God. And people find it, isn't it wonderful? He solved all the problems and we're willing to die for it. And you see what dangers there are. Mm. And now we are talking, going on babbling about democracy, but most countries are bogus democracies and we elect leaders and Jefferson in establishing uh, the United States, you know, at the beginning of the establishment of the United States, said democracy enables the people to choose their own tyrant. <laughs> <laughs> well, no comment about... <laughs> Anyone who springs to mind. Um, let's just move on to, because I'm conscious we want to keep this conversation brief. So, um, we've got a sense of your thinking about conversation, but you've done something rather practical. You've set up um, what you call the Oxford Muse. Could you tell us a bit about it and, and where this has all been, where, where, the different places where these sorts of uh, activities have taken place? Yes, what I organised is a, a charity which invites people to have conversations with people they do not know. And I have done this in, I think, about 14 countries now. Just recently it took place in Shanghai. It's going to take place in Germany. I'm going to do it in Italy in September and so on. And uh, what happens is, and that's what's going to happen to you, <laughs> we're going to say, do you know the person next to you? And if you do, we're going to move you to talk to someone else whom you don't know. 
and I can assure you that when this has been done, it's been done hundreds of times, um, you will find everybody interesting, even if you came from a totally different background, even if you don't like them, you'll understand why you don't like them, or why they have chosen different, and also you'll discover why you think the way you do, by contrast with someone else. And let me just explain the, the method. Um, there's a menu of conversation which is going to be given to you. And it lists, like, a, like in a restaurant, all the dishes you can eat and all the subjects you can talk about. The important thing about conversation is what you talk about. Instead of talking about triviality, and what the important thing, this is an opportunity to talk about things that really matter to you. And talking to a stranger is rather surprisingly more liberating than talking to somebody you, you meet every day. And so you'll go through the menu one by one to choose the subjects that you want to eat. And you will, one of you will start by answering the question. And this means that you're not interrogating anybody. It's not an interview. You're willing to talk about it. And then the other person answers the question also, the person in front of you, next to you. And then you discuss it, your different points of view. And then you do something very important. You say, well, how can our experience, because what you're talking about is your experience, how can our experience be useful to other people? It's all very well for me to get to know someone, but how can we use it in, a, in, in the world where there is so, much, so many wars going on, so much, so much antagonism between different, within nations, within corporations, and it's, this has been done um, within businesses, big businesses and small businesses, it's been done in universities, it's been done with the unemployed, it's been done at every level of society, and uh, it gives people a chance to get into someone else's mind and also to clarify one's own thoughts because one's got to express why one is doing what one is doing. Um, and the first question is, how have your aims in, in life changed in the course of your, your ambitions changed in the course of your life? Quite a difficult question. They're all very difficult questions. Why have you changed in the course of your life? Why haven't you? Therefore, you've got to then say, well, what about other people whose main purpose in life is simply to to get a job, and then they find the job is lousy, but they're too scared to move out of it? Are they wasting their life? And uh, then in, in, in another book, which I published more recently, and which is, being a, is here, I then said, well, what can we do about it? And I ask you and other questions, and that book gives you other questions, which is, what is a wasted life? Now that's jolly hard. And uh, how many lives do you need? And what do you do in later life, you know? In the first part of life you can look after a family, you uh, rear children. And then you've got now in modern times, you've got, you know, 30 years. And are you just going to go on cruises? <laughs> but you've got all this experience of life and you don't pass it on to the next generation. The next generation, and I can tell you from universities where I've, I've worked, they don't know what to do with themselves. And they're really cross. 
and this is really a very serious thing and it's even more serious in other countries and if you give them no hope now that the age of progress has passed and people don't think that everything's going to get better tomorrow you're offering the young nothing and this is what elderly people have really got to do and I think one's got to put them to work no longer they don't you know they've got a bit of money they need much more money and that is what the conversation is about to share your experience with the young and those of you who are still in business for example how you can make work something which enhances the life of the imagination the intelligence of people who work and rather than just giving them money in order that they should spend all day playing on their computer and then go home and then try and relax by watching lousy television. So there are important things to be done and uh, I am uh, going to ask you, having um, participated in this conversation, to write to the back of the, uh, of the menu whether you're willing to do something and what you think about this you know have you got the energy the time to do something and what are we what should be we be doing unless of course you can say everything is fine and we are getting better and better and the world is all rosy and if you think that well interesting to know it <laughs> um, but uh, have you known any time when there has been such disagreement strong disagreement within this nation and within other nations with the rise of extremist parties you know in Hungary they want to close down a university because it disturbs them they don't like foreigners foreign ideas you know Hungary which is which has produced an enormous number of very famous artists and uh, and thinkers has become um, closed down it and uh, the Central European University is an example of this. Um, so, I, uh, I hope at least some of you will see that you have got something important to do and it's no good just going on cruises. Okay, so we're not going to on a cruise, we're going to do some, uh, some work. Hands up those who are sitting to, next to somebody they know. Okay, well... What we're going to do is just say quite at random, do you know this person? No. Okay, that's your partner. Do you know that person? No. No, that's your partner. Do you know the person next to you? No. no. Okay, and you don't know this person. And okay, there's a gentleman sitting there looking quite happy. So he's your partner? <laughs> Just to quickly say, we'll, we'll allow, we've, got, we've got plenty of time, so we'll allow three quarters an hour for the conversation. You work your way through the menu. You've got to eat everything. You've got to eat everything. But if you don't finish it all, don't worry.
will you please write down and give us these things back with your comments before you go? Please. If you don't mind doing that. If anyone needs a pen, we've got, got pens seven. at the back. Not just to say it's very nice, but, <laughs> but to, to say what you think you could contribute to the development of this kind of conversation among people who don't normally have them. And as I said, all of you have a certain amount of time and you have, none of you have spoken to every species of humanity yet. And um, are you willing to do this? Um, this conversation is being, this system of conversation is being developed by the Oxford Muse Foundation and we would like people in other, in other towns and other countries to hold conversation meetings like these and invite the sort of people who, with whom you will never normally um, have anything to do. And the results are astonishing. And when you bring wealthy people together with poor people, you learn so much from them. Um, you are trying to develop conversation. We've got to develop it widely and um, I'm developing now in different cities. I've been trying to do it in a city which has the second highest rate of hate crime in England. It is the seventh most deprived city in England. It is, um, uh, it's one third of its inhabitants are of foreign origin. It has got two universities. It has got lots of wealthy people. It's got the wonderful parks and everything else. But there is this missing element that people don't meet each other. And uh, we started off, we got the top floor of Jamie's Italian restaurant, about a hundred um, seats, and we invited anybody who wanted to come, and they came, and we had a hundred people there, and they talked like this, and we got to know people whom we'd, we'd never get to know. And this is a, a world in which people never meet. And uh, above all, how can one pass on one's experience, as you've seen from doing this? You all have different experiences. And there's something you can help young people to, to say, well, how can you travel more interestingly? How can you um, find a better education? How can you um, develop interest in different kinds of art? Um, how can you help people who, have, who are in such conditions that they have no stimulus to their curiosity? There is so much to do and we can't have all people with uh, you know, retired people wasting these, you know, hey, why they have these medical people who say, okay, you're not going to live to 100 and you're going to spend 40 years doing nothing. It's ridiculous. So I have a question to you because I absolutely... Sorry, so I, I said that I think we all are here because we agree how important it is to talk to people, to have this conversation and meet different minds and different ways of looking at problems and all the time stay creative and fresh with our ideas. And those meetings you organize are extremely valuable and make this opportunity. But I wonder how to bring people to that conversation who are not seeing this as a value, because I think that's the major problem. So I would mention that you, I have this now I, um, way of being able to talk to people in uh, James restaurant and you invite people who would like to come, but how to invite people who 
would not think that it is value for them to count. So those are the people who I think would be better important to engage in well, the appreciation yes, of I see it. It, um, it requires skill to enter um, parts of, the, of a town where you have never been and so on. And you have, you can um, get in touch with organizations. The football, for example, I went and saw the head of the football, um, you know, uh, supporters. And they would never dream of doing this kind of thing. But they saw the value of it. And they can, inside the football community, you can get them to say, okay, we invite 10 of you to come and participate. And then you find some other activity. You know, sport is now um, rather strangely. Um, we did one of these um, conversations in the Olympics. And one of the strange things about the Olympics is that each nation has its own little place and lives separately, and they don't benefit much from meeting the Chinese or whatever. And that is an opportunity. In other words, you take existing organizations and you invite them to send a few people from their organization. You do have done this with businesses, and businesses have said it is very valuable in making people in different branches of their business get to know each other. And it's in universities where people from different faculties never speak to each other. Um, so there are all sorts of separate organizations in the world, and you've just got to visit them and visit their leader and get, get them to become, to send people to it. So I imagine that these groups of people, uh, they don't appreciate it, not because they do not want to appreciate the value of conversation, but they have not yet discovered it as a value. But there are a group of people who we talked a little bit earlier, fanatics, religious fanatics, who you've mentioned, and these are the group of people who might not be open to entertain idea of conversation being valuable because no, they, they are too close. They, no, they, they would be because they think they will come and convert you. <laughs> but this is not a conversation, right? This is more... Um, well, uh, you see, if you give them questions like these, they find they would not talk about whatever it is they're trying to convert you. They're talking about the problem of living. I did this, for example, with Turks and Armenians who hate each other for good reason, you know, for they, there was a genocide of, of Armenians. And we got them to talk not about politics, but about life. And it was wonderful. And they were very happy with it. And uh, I think that this can be done in, with, for different reasons. Each person will have different reasons for coming. And uh, some of them will be frightened, but you can do it to test them. We have done it. and. Uh, I remember where, to give you an example of where I've done it, I've done it in the park, I've just said on television, I'm going to be on, at Regent's Park or Hyde Park, and anybody wants to come to celebrate my birthday, I'm inviting everybody I don't know. <laughs> and they came, like 300 people turned up, and we had a wonderful conversation for them, they all sat on the grass and it was very nice. And so that is one uh, way of doing it. Um, I remember doing it in a church hall, and people just came in, uh, you know, and I talked with a chap who just came out of prison, and he told me a great deal about prison and being an alcoholic and all the rest of it, and I learned a lot. 
and he invited me to come to Alcoholics Anonymous, which I don't need, I think. <laughs> um, so you, you make very interesting friends. I've done it in, um, among uh, organizations with, which deal with homeless people. And it was fascinating how one of the people I spoke to was an Iranian refugee. And he'd been in England for five years. And I talked to him for two hours this kind of talk and he said this is the first conversation I've had in five years. Now no one speaks to you when you're in that situation. And there are all these plenty of charities and so on who try to look after people but don't um, bring them out and enable to enter new 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 places. We are we are segmented, segregated by our education, by our professions, by our where we live. Social barriers. Social barriers everywhere. And I remember we went to, um, we did a lot of work in, uh, in Lewisham, in uh, poor areas. And we went to the Caribbean Society. And we said, we'd like you to come and talk to, say, the Chinese Society. Oh, no, no, we don't want to do that. That is not straightforward because each of the societies is concerned with looking after its own people. And uh, so we've, we've also gone and talked to people individually. For example, we would go talk to little shopkeepers. And they're fascinating people. They're immigrants. They have very small shops. But their shops are social places where people come and chat. I've also done this in IKEA. And in IKEA, everybody comes and um, no one speaks to anyone else. And so I organized this. And I said to IKEA, you are great believers in uh, environment and environment and so on. Why do you insist on having meatballs in your, in your most famous dish that you serve? And you know, you can't give up our meatballs. <laughs> so there are limits to what they will do. But we, we did get people to talk to each other. And we also organize music lessons for their children when they come to IKEA so they get to know the children and also mix the people they would not normally mix with. There are all sorts of opportunities, but you, what you do is you get beyond the segregation and it is very instructive. It's like traveling into a different world. Anyone else got a mute question? I just wanted to ask about the sort of different approaches to conversation, perhaps in different cultures or different countries. I think one way that conversations can happen in England or London um, is by holding a street party and you can get permission from the council to close off the road for a Saturday or something like that. Yeah. Put up some tables and people who are neighbours or live in that area can just sort of have a you know, glass of wine or a bit of food and everyone brings out some food yeah. and that's quite a good way of you know, it's not a structured conversation, that's quite an English way out of the street party. The English way, you've got to be aware of the rain. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder whether conversations are, are different yeah, exactly. in different countries, and is there anything particular about England or Britain that makes it difficult or has to be approached in a different way? I don't think so. I, uh, what I'm particularly interested in is in the ability of the elder, older people to meet younger people, because they do separate themselves. And this is something which has had enormous influence on our, on our culture. 
young people used to follow in the same job as their parents. They used to, women used to learn how to, girls used to learn how to sew and cook and so on and now. I married a blue stocking who doesn't know how to cook. <laughs> um, it's uh, something missing if the experience of the past is wasted and so the young repeat the stupidities of the elders. Someone else wants to ask a question at the back. Dick, you were next, then we'll go to the two ladies at the back. I'm, I'm just a little concerned in that, I mean, what you're saying is it's like motherhood apple pie, you know, you, of course you sign up to having conversations with other people and of course you always learn how to do things. But really what you're trying to do is like a drop of water in the ocean. In that, uh, you know, how can it really have an impact on society? Yes, I entirely agree with you. This is a drop in the ocean and I'm very interested in drops. Um, that is to say, um, in, nat in the natural sciences we have increasingly studied particles and the minute, the minute influences which um, dominate our lives, um, governments, <coughs> politics, economics, I don't know whether you're an economist or somebody who's worked at these high levels, politics has failed to get everybody to be good. Yes. Uh, religion has likewise um, created animosities as well as um, improve people's behavior. Um, that's a big solutions have not worked as well as they want to. And therefore we've got to have minute solutions, one to one. And this is conversation is one to one. If you want to change people's relations, you establish relationships with individuals one by one. You cannot say you're all going to become friends. One by one, we must discover why each one of you is different and what your ambitions are and what your aspirations are and how we can collaborate one to one. And so my answer is exactly that your, um, your comment is justified if you wish to continue in the ancient system of a dictator saying, do this, do that, or a uh, boss, a CEO saying, we are going to make everybody perfect. Um, and it has not worked. I don't mind you continuing in that system, but um, I do see a parallel with what has happened in the natural sciences, where this is not a table, but this all sorts of particles which we can study, and each one behaves often unpredictably. That's uh, I, I am a natural scientist. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> but then, you, then you're not applying your, your scientific method to no, no, on the contrary, I'm questioning your, uh, your, your, your argument, which is uh, part of my training to do so. My concern is that you're, you're suggesting a, um, a solution um, which I don't see in the present way that the world is organized can lead to a, a satisfactory outcome. You know, we are in blocks of, of countries, we're <coughs> represented by governments who give us misinformation. There are, there are other problems that really stand in the way of conversation between individuals. Yes, um, and therefore, as a natural scientist, one ought to say, since our present experiments have not worked very well, we've got to find other ways. Um, I was visited two days ago by Miss America, and 
we discussed how the people who voted for Trump should meet the people who voted against Trump. And uh, I think that is a worthwhile experiment. I'm not saying it's going to solve the problems of the world, but it will show each side why they are frustrated and unhappy. And and I would right. totally agree with you, but and how would you engineer that that would happen? Oh, that's pretty simple. It, if, it, if it was simple, then why is it not happening? Because no one is engineering it. <laughs> But, but who is going to engineer it? You need sort of some big brother still in the sky. I'm not in favor of big brothers. I think it's what each one of you can do. There's no good if laws are designed, are done for, to enable accountants to find ways by which you can avoid the law. You know, it's uh, lawyers who get around the law. I agree. So the real solution is, is the one of individuals. Well, given the enormity of the number of individuals in the world, then this is the, this is really the problem. But the number of individuals in the world, the number of individuals in the world, is minute compared to the number of neurons in your brain. It is. Let's have the two questions at the, at the back, and then and then gone. Yeah. Um, I'd be interested to know how far you think social media channels can help in this kind of conversation. Um, if we return to the question of Trump voters, I'm, I'm remote friends with a Californian woman who uh, voted Trump, and we find ourselves having very earnest and sometimes catty discussions about what she did and my views on it. Um, I, I have a lot of young friends on Facebook, um, and it's a way that I feel I'm in contact with an incredible range of ideas and opinions. So do you think that those kinds of conversations have as much value as a face-to-face -face conversation? Well, there's no doubt that face-to-face -face conversations leave a deeper impression. There's something there which no one has been able to put their finger on, but there's something additional in a face-to-face -face conversation. I've been thinking about how one can use the internet for this, and I'm still open to suggestions and I feel it, I don't know whether it will work as well. Um, I do believe that two hours with somebody is a real meeting. I have lots of Skype conversations all over the world, but I've never felt so close to people as when I meet them personally. Yeah. Sorry, there, just to say that there are some things online um, like meet up. So things which could facilitate, um, you know, spreading the word and inviting people to join in conversations, but it just takes people to say, I'm going to host one and it's going to be here at a particular time and you can just make it happen. Are you going to have individual conversations? No, I'm, uh, what I'm talking about is, 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 is finding a space, um, yeah. um, like you had upstairs in Jamie Oliver's, yeah. wherever, in your locality or wherever it is that you want to ho host a conversation and then invite people or invite groups yes. to have a conversation. I agree with that. Um, one of the things that the terrorists who have been investigated have said, um, you know, they come from a foreign country, they said, nobody has ever invited me to their home. Now what kind of welcome is that in a country? And I remember one of the um, people I talked to, he was chairman of General Electric, and he invited a criminal 
to stay with him for a weekend. And that's courage, isn't it? But that could have a real, a real sense of you're not an outcast, you know, we, you're something inside which is worth knowing. And we're scared. When I proposed um, even just getting um, people in superior positions, helping people who are finding difficulty in establishing themselves and work and so on, giving some advice. I remember I spoke to one eminent person and he said, yes, I'd be happy to do it, provided they don't come to my home. So they're scared. And in the 19th century, there was a phrase called the dangerous classes, the people we are scared of, the people who are too dangerous to speak to. Now, no society is complete if that exists. There's a finger there. Um, could I just mention the book which you just said, an anecdote? I'm currently having conversations, although she calls it class, in Costa Coffee, in Datchet most Sunday afternoons with um, someone who works in Tesco's in Datchet. She spoke to her husband and said, I'm never getting any English practice. By the way, she's a Tamil from India. She said, I never get to speak any English other than, would you like a bag? <laughs> so my husband, my husband offered my services. And we have conversation every Sunday afternoon. It's very interesting. It's very true what you say. There are many people of foreign origin who are now doing jobs well below their talents. Mm -hmm. I remember the um, petrol pump attendant, and I spoke to him, uh, proved to be a teacher from Pakistan, and he was a petrol pump attendant. We're not using all this talent, and so this has an economic benefit as well. So, and then it is so interesting meeting these people. And uh, I think it is more interesting than reading a murder story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> time to two questions. Can I just ask one question we'd yeah. to get them. It's a very simple question, really, and I'm, I'm just really interested in a candid approach, is that how many people here would have come if they had known this exercise mm. was going to take place. <laughs> 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 really do you mind if I ask for a show of hands? How many people would have come had they known this was going to be the content of the session? Yeah. 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 And how, how many people would come again if there was another one now knowing this is the content of the session? Okay, would you write down? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, reason, the reason I'm very interested in it is that I'm, I'm a psychotherapist and a coach yeah. and I work a lot with people to have deep conversations and I find a challenge is to attract people to come to have this type of conversation ahead of having it yeah. and then having had it, having difficulty holding them back. So it's, um, I was just very interested in knowing, in attracting people, how many people would willingly come and talk at depth on a Saturday morning. Um, so I probably didn't expect such a high show of hands, so I'm just very interested. Thank I'll you. tell you the reason. Because when they come to you, when they come to you, they tell you their troubles, yeah. and you get them to talk, but you don't tell them your troubles. Yes. Yeah, and actually, that's what I put on my feedback, that that the interest today was the participation. That's a, that's a problem, yes. Yeah, thank you. John, we're going to give you the final... Thank you. It's, it's really no more than an observation, but 
it perhaps underlines that what we are talking about today will become enormously more important in the years ahead. Current thinking is that the development of artificial intelligence is going to mean that um, very few people are going to work, in quotes, work in future. Uh, the need, therefore, for the stimulus of conversation or other similar forms of development is going to be absolutely huge. We're faced by um, really a, a social tsunami coming at us. Politicians aren't even beginning to grasp what this means, but it underlines an awful lot of what you're talking about. I'm very glad you raised that because one of the, I've only spoken about one element in what the Oxford News does. Another one is to talk about future work. Because at the moment, work is what people do in order to earn a living, in order to be able to live afterwards after work. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems to me that we ought to be developing new forms of work, because when we educate people, they become much more curious and interested in many more things than just sitting in front of a computer and selling same bit of junk all the time. And I see business as having to have a new philosophy. And business is about buying and selling time, busyness. And uh, it means, how do you want to spend your time on earth? And business ought to be a cultural activity. The aim is not simply to earn money in order to live when it's not working, but Business leaders ought to be educating people, ought to be introducing them to aspects of life which they know about, and then putting them on to other aspects of life. Instead of the, the, now that the old idea of a job for life is gone, we ought to make use of that and say, well, let us see how we can educate the people who come and work for us. <coughs> and that gives you an, an, a new dimension but that's a long story, and I, one of the things I'm working on is the future of work. And I would like the collaboration of people in who have a significant roles in business to talk about this, and that's what I, one of the things I am doing. Thank you. We need to draw to a close. Um, just to say that those of you who are staying for lunch, um, there's a buffet lunch over in the, in the main building. We have some of Theodore's books on sale immediately afterwards. Thank you all for joining in conversation. I could hear the, the buzz and it was really very really amazing to hear that buzz. So I'm, I'm sure you all made new best friends. And I hope so. Thank you very much, Theodore.